This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome in. It's On The Mark. I'm Mark Carmen, and we have a Hall of Famer on the line today, Spencer Haywood. You uh, went into the Hall of Fame in 2015, Spencer, and, and your story is just, it's, it's, it's winding, it's beautiful, and I, I think we got to start. Silver City, Mississippi, population 300, a young Spencer Haywood. That, that, is, uh, that is an upbringing that not many people can claim, and, and that was you. That's, that's an upbringing in farming as well. Well, yeah, because that's what we did in Silver City, Mississippi. We picked cotton, we planted cotton, we shucked corn, we planted corn. We did all the farm work. So when I when I got up to Detroit and everybody was saying, you know, you got to practice for two hours, I was like, uh, two and a half hours of basketball? That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't, that didn't feel like work at that point, huh? No, because what happened was I was working from sun up to sundown since I was six years old. So that was like, ooh. who? Uh, and I'm going to do this. And yeah, who who was who was who was out there with you? Your brother, your mom, my brother, my mom, my sisters. Oh yeah, it was it was it was hard work, backbreaking work. But you know, it was it was what you had to go through. And to live there at the time, because we didn't have income, we didn't have uh, things to survive, so we had to make make ends meet to survive. And during the winter times, you know, uh, when things were getting scarce, you had to go out and hunt and fish for your food. I mean, it was Tom Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> and $2 a day, right? That, that was the pay? Yeah, that's the pay. Two dollars a day from sun up to sundown. It was never about well, you're working six six. It was just sun up, sundown, which is you know gives you good work ethics and 
and you know you're out there with your family you're, you're trying to make it all happen so it was it was not bad as it sounds but it was it was uh it taught us a lot of things about life and and of course we had uh god on our side so that was the big thing and, and my mother was always emphasizing and pushing that so that was the that was the joy of being out there and you know like other other families were out there and you know, you had uh, a water boy, you had uh, someone weighing the cotton, you had someone doing all of the things. So I look back on it and I say, well, I was in training at the age of six because when I pick a roll of cotton and it weighed, the cotton sack would weigh 100 pounds, I had to get that sack all the way back to the trailer, which was like a quarter of a mile away. And I put it on my back and I build up my legs. So, and then when I was picking the cotton, you, you you work with both hands, you know, because you're picking two rows at a time, and it had hand-eye coordination. So <laughs> there was my training for basketball. Well, when when did you, I don't know, start to get this realization that, uh, hey, I really like this game, and maybe I can perhaps do something, and it could be a way out for me? Well, I got it early. I got it when I was uh, 13 and 14. I started to feel that I had a, an opportunity and I started playing a lot because my brothers and I, we played everywhere, anytime, you know, especially when we wasn't working in the fields. And when I got to Michigan at the age of 15 and to Detroit and I started playing high school ball there, that's when I knew because I was practicing and playing with the Pistons at the time. Uh, my dad, Will Robinson, was the first black coach to coach uh, in NC2A history, and also he was at Northern Illinois, no, not Northern, but uh, Illinois State, and he's got a big stature out there. That's who raised me and adopted me when I came up north. And so we uh, got a chance to play against the Pistons and all that stuff. I didn't think of it like I was, I was, you know, a pro player or anything. I was just having fun. I, I loved the game for the fun of it all and the beauty of the, the art of it all. So uh, it was just grand experiences for me. And then, you know, the music scene in Detroit, you could go down to the Fox Theater and listen to Smokey Robinson, the Supremes, and everyone. And it was like a dollar or 50 cents. You want to spend half, spend half of the day. It was it was just a grand time for, for a young man to grow up like that. You were 6'6 six, six at 13, is that right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a seven-footer, but I, 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 I only grew two more inches, so it was like a big disaster there. <laughs> well, you, you did okay only, only at 6'8". At you, you mentioned uh, yes. you know, playing, you're in high school, you're playing against the Pistons. Dave Bing was behind that, right? He uh, was saying, yes, hey, let's... Dave let's, Bing let's was, was. Yeah. Uh, Dave would bring over the Pistons to uh, Persian High School, and we would practice with those guys. And then, you know, like during the summer months, I would go over to Poconos and do his camp. And just out running, I just left Cabo with Dave Bing because they have found Dave Bing, Oscar Robinson, Dave Cowens, and Archie Clark, and Dave DeBushet found the NBA retired players. And so those are all of my piece because you have three of those guys who are from Detroit that I played against when I was a young boy. Archie Clark was one. He was down in River Rouge. Dave Bing was another one. And Dave DeBusha, who recruited me to the University of Detroit. And so 
<laughs> I was like living in heaven, you know. And to, to see those guys now and see what, what what we are doing with with their legacy with the Retired Players Association, uh, it is uh, it's an incredible thing. And to get together nowadays, from fifty years later, is just it's, it's, it's a miracle. Does the NBA need to uh, do something for the retired players, Spencer? Uh, you know, you guys made a decent living, but you obviously didn't make the money that they're making or anywhere close to what they're making today. And I know that some guys are, uh, you know, maybe could use a little bit of help. Yeah, well, let me just explain what the NBA PA, which is the NBA Players Association, that's LeBron James, Steph Curry, and all those guys have done, along with the owners, uh, the Cronkies and all of the different owners, uh, they put together a program for which uh, we get like, I think it's $16 million a year in health insurance. And that has been the miracle for all of our players and all of our, all of our, our members. And that has saved so many lives. And then these guys and, and the owners went back and said, let's, let's make their... Uh, their pension proactive, you know, some guys took their pension early, but uh, it's just, they are doing so much, but they never say anything about it, so no one said anything about it, so I'm taking it up on myself to tell the story because they're doing all these great things, and, and people do say, well, you know, why don't they do more? They're doing things. They're doing things for us, and they, uh, I just came back from the NBAPA, which is the NBA a players association in New York where I addressed all of the young rookies, the first and second year men. And we had one of your, one of your hometown boys there, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Chris Bosch mm-hmm. and Stephen A. Smith. So we had, a, we had just an awesome time telling them about life, how, what, what to do, look for, what not to look for. And then these young guys, they're like 19 years old, you know, they saying, well, what can we do for the, Retired Players Association. So they're getting it in their head early, you know. And Michelle Roberts, who is the executive director, uh, she's instilling that into them that they have to reach back and do some good. And so, you know, we got guys who are reaching back and doing some good. But they don't they don't promote it because they, they I guess, feel a, a little shame, you know. I don't, we don't, we don't give them, like, billions of dollars or millions of dollars, but... But they're doing what they can, and they're doing a lot of good things for us, and they're looking out for the old schoolers. That's, that's a that's a that's a part of the Bulls and all of the other teams that have been involved with this. It's just been awesome, and uh, for that we we are able to do some things. We're able to get guys the, the health care that they need. We got a young uh, executive director, Scott Rochelle. We have um, our new uh, chairman. Uh, it's Johnny Newman, Johnny Gunn, the shooter. <laughs> and we got yep. Rick Barry on the board with us. We got Rick Barry on the board with us. And we got the great Nancy Lieberman. My gosh, what a lady. And we got Elders with Kasner, James Donaldson, LaRue Martin, another Chicago boy on the board with us. Uh, uh, and we have uh, Mike Stinger Glenn. We have a number of guys, and we're just doing what we do, and it's, it's a good time for us to be reaching out and growing. So it's a special time. I just recently uh, was fortunate enough to talk to Nancy Lieberman, uh, and I asked her, "Shouldn't you be the first woman's head coach in the NBA?" And she said that she's not, you know, worried about that. And if it's her, or if it's Becky Hammond, or whoever it may be down the line, what would you think about it being Nancy Spencer? 
Oh, without a question. It should be Nancy. And, you know, she, she gets a little ashamed of me when I, when I, when I, I'm not like a her hype man in a way. I always <laughs> go around and say, hey, you know, you guys are meeting the first lady of basketball. And she's like, oh, damn, sir. <laughs> she's a humble lady, you know. <laughs> but, but she is. I don't know why she, she looked at it like, wait a minute, I'm not the first lady of basketball. Yes, you are. <laughs> So now it's catching on with, our, with the rest of the board members and, and the rest of the retired players. So everybody's starting. We were just in uh, Cabo, so everybody was, yeah, the first lady of basketball is here. Who? Uh, let's go back to your playing days for a second here, Spencer. Who would you say was your, your the toughest guy for you to go against in the post? Well, I was I was a forward, so I was a big forward. So I had um, I had Dave DeBusher, Gus Johnson, um, Elvin Hayes, um, those you no know, burly guys that are big that you can battle with, and you had uh, Obata Bean Love was really yeah. nice and sweet. He and Chet Walker, those guys could really ball, and, and so I, I respect that Chicago team tremendously. And they had they had some players, so uh, yeah, those were my guys. And of course, Rick Barry and all of us, because I had to sometimes go out to three, and he would try to take me into deep water and drown me. But uh, then I would take him down, <laughs> and then I would take him down low and punish him. So it was it was just basketball. We were, we weren't playing for you know stats or anything. It's like I was doing a show with Oscar Robinson, for an example, and and the the moderator asked Oscar, "Well, well, how did you keep up with your uh, with your triple doubles?" And he said, "I didn't know about them until twenty years later." <laughs> <laughs> but that's where that's that's, that's that, that gives you an example of where I had were, you know, in terms of just plan. Yeah, I mean, I I've talked to uh, you know a bunch of guys from your era, and a lot of them are the Chicago guys, and you know Norm Van Leer, uh, may he rest in peace, one of the great competitors the game's ever had. He when he would talk about Oscar, he would, yeah, he I mean he would say that Oscar was better than Michael, which, you know, somebody in my era, I, I find that hard to believe, but so much respect for Oscar and what he did. Hey, so much respect for Oscar. And, you know, he's one of our founders for the Retired Players Association. Yeah. You, yeah. Oscar Robinson, boy, what a player. What a player. You know, one night I was playing against um, the Chicago Bulls, and I said to Jerry Sloan, I said, you take another charge, I'm going to step on you. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, you know, he, he fall down in front of me and said, I'm going to step right in your face or in your chest. So he takes a charge, and I'm feeling bad that I, you know, I, I stepped on him. And as I was coming out of my step in his chest, Norm Van Leer was standing right there, and he took another charge. I was like, these guys are nuts. <laughs> but that's how they played. That's the... <laughs> That's how the, that was a tough backcourt, tough, tough backcourt. We just said, "Oh Lord, please let us out of here." I know my guards on on Seattle and other teams that I played with when we come out of come out of uh, out of Chicago with, against the Bulls. They were like, "Ooh, let me get my body, let me get some ice on myself here." And these guys are nuts. Well, well, did didn't uh, I don't know if you remember the story? Did did not did Norm Van Leer not take a chair and try to? Uh... I, I I forget exactly who he threw the chair at. I I I want to say it was Wilt, but that's not right because I know he loved Wilt. But I don't. I I mean Norm yeah. Norm Norm uh, Norm had some anger. Yeah, but it wasn't anger. It was just competition. He was a, he was a competitor. He was a football player. He was a quarterback from Pennsylvania, 
he was he did everything. He was a multi-purpose athlete, you know. And here he is just playing basketball, and and they took it over. So no, that's the way you played basketball back in the day. You you know you hold, you scratch, you claw, you did whatever is necessary. It's basketball. Yeah, you were you were also on uh, you know you were an NBA champion with the seventy nine eighty Lakers, which of course had Magic and and mm-hmm. and, and Kareem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Michael Cooper, uh, all oh, those guys. You, know, uh, uh, you Norm Nixon, Jamal Wilkes. I mean, you guys, you guys were loaded. What, you know, you uh, loaded. You ended up on the Olympic team because Kareem was part of the '68 boycott, correct? Yeah, 1968. Then the Olympics were coming together, and you had uh, Harry Edwards and others who were boycotting the '68 Olympics until they asked Kareem to to make a stand. And he did. And uh, also, that same year, Elvin Hayes and Wesley Unsell signed their pro contract because as a pro, you couldn't play on the Olympics. I know guys listening to this young folks saying, wait a minute, what, are you? <laughs> what about the dream team? But no, back then, you couldn't play uh, on the Olympic team. You had to be strictly an amateur athlete. And so uh, they brought me in. For a tryout, and I was this 18 year old kid, and they were like, "Well, you know, this this kid can do it for us. He can serve as the fifth, all three players." And lo and behold, I was picked number one, and I was like, "Oh my god!" So then we had to locate a passport, and my passport, uh, my mother had my birth certificate, which was not a birth certificate because I was born by a midwife in Silver City, Mississippi, and she had written. In the Bible, on the John 21, that's my father's name, and so John 21 is close enough to April 22nd, I guess. And so we couldn't we couldn't get this dog on passport, and so we had to send someone from the Olympic Committee all the way down to Silver City, Mississippi. They had to take it all the way back up to Jackson and issue out a pass, issue out a birth certificate. And when I get my birth certificate. The midwife couldn't spell my name right, so it was spelled Spency. <laughs> <laughs> it's close enough. Yeah, so so the guys on the Olympic team, they had a lot of fun with that. You know, Charlie Scott, JoJo White, Mike Silliman, Don Clawson, us, Ken Spain, all those guys were like, Spency, Spency, Spency. And I couldn't explain it. Like, you know, it was a midwife mistake. <laughs> you wasn't born by a doctor? No. <laughs> That that's a that that's a you know a crazy time in our history. You had you had Martin Luther King getting getting shot at that point, and you know you're you're in the '60s, mm-hmm. so so much unrest. And, and here, I mean, I, I'm just imagining your position. You want to play in the Olympics, but then guys. Well, are, no, in '67, '67, my my city was had burned down. Yeah. The city of Detroit had burned down in 1967. Boy, I tell you, when you when you send. And, and, and put your hand over your over your over your heart and, and sing that national anthem. You're in the Olympics. That's another that's another whole ball game there. Yeah. And and I look back on it and say, well, you know, when could this have happened? You got a three years before I'm picking cotton in, in Silver City, Mississippi, and three years later I'm I'm standing on the podium reading, getting a gold medal. And the leader of the 1968 basketball team, where well, I set records that lasted for 44 years. And yeah. it, it just, America is an awesome place. I mean, you know, we have our problems, but boy, she is so good. 
Yeah, what's your reaction around that, Spencer? When you when you see what's going on in the NFL and and some guys are you know trying to bring awareness and people are having huge reactions to not standing for the anthem. What, what do you, what do you think about all that? Well, I think you know you, you got to agitate a little bit, so so that's a good thing. I mean, you know, I I don't see anything wrong with it because they're trying to bring uh, awareness to all of the injustice that are going on within the communities and within our, our cities and so on. So, uh, I, you know, I'm just an Olympian. So when, yeah. when you talk about not standing for the national anthem, that's a little bit of a quiz for me because I'm just, I'm an Olympian. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, we had Tommy Smith and John Carlos with us at the Olympics and, and they made a stand, but nothing like this, but something like this. And, uh, you know, George Foreman had the, the American flag when he knocked out the Russian. And, uh, of course, Will Robinson and Hank Ivor were saying, boy, don't you do nothing out here. Don't do no <laughs> silly stuff. I was like, hey, you ain't got no problem with me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. So I see both sides of it. I see both sides of it. But, uh, you know, I, I sure would like to see Colin Kaepernick uh, playing football at this time. I really would. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that sometimes you got to, so sometimes you have to, you just can't have, uh, you got to make, make amends, you know, and, and, and do something to, because the owners and the fans have the rights too. So you got to be appeasing to both. And so I don't think you should be so stiff in your ideas that you can't make an adjustment. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Young. Well, exactly, people. You know he's he's trying to do right, and we'll see how it all plays out here. Hopefully, he'll get back in the league. You, uh, you know, you were a tre- trendsetter yourself, Spencer, with the uh, NBA hardship rule. You <laughs> you ended up in court, right? And uh, I mean, it's it, it's impressive to me that the guys today they know you for that. I mean, Kevin Garnett knows you for that. Charles Barkley, who was with you at uh, when you went to the Hall of Fame, they give you a ton of credit. Hall of Fame, for- yes. So I, yes, well, what it, what that case was? Let me it got a second. Can I give you a little bit about the case? I got all day, Spencer. Go ahead. You, I'm interested okay, to hear. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, the case started when I left the University of Detroit because my mother was still picking cotton for two dollars a day in Mississippi. Her back had went out because she couldn't drag the sack anymore, and so I figured, well, let me go make some money to help my family get off get out of, get off of her knees. And when I signed the contract with the ABA, I played that first year, was rookie of the year, leading scorer, leading rebounder, MVP of the league, MVP of the All-Star game, averaging 30 and 20. Yeah. 30 points, 20 rebounds. For not bad. Games. Not bad. And then, not bad. Not bad. Not bad. And, and so the following year, I wanted to play in the NBA. I jumped into the NBA and the Seattle Supersonics, and I signed with them. And the Sonics were saying, you know, you got one more year of college left, so you, you can't play. And then I wanted to play, so um, I filed an injunction for the rights to play. And the league and the NC2A says, well, you know, we're going to get an injunction for him not to play. And so that case went all the way from the lower courts to the, to the district court in California on, on into the Supreme Court. And it took a year out of my career, and I didn't know what was going to happen from there. But, you know, you stood for something uh, like these young guys are doing today. And 
And lo and behold, it changed the way we look at basketball because all of a sudden uh, the NBA couldn't get uh, expansions going in the NBA because they didn't have a pool in which to pull from. Because by waiting for four years, a lot of players got washed away, you know. And so once this ruling was broken, we went from 16 teams to 30 teams. And then we also went from uh, like a guy like LeBron, for an example. He missed four years of uh, of college, so he made $100 million extra. He got uh, four extra years of playing and, and records on his on his uh, on his stats and everything else. So you got guys playing twenty years, and they got an extra four years. So that's where those guys are coming in: uh, Kevin Garnett, Charles Barkley, all of them, and Isaiah, and all of them are talking about this is the money man. So I'm the guy that's known as the money man <laughs> in the NBA. That's awesome, so Steph Curry, and all of them. And that's why they wanted to give us the uh, health insurance because that's what I've been that's what I ran for on the board of directors, and uh, that made a difference for us all. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's history, man. That's 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 uh, that's, that's a, history. That, that's, that is history. You can't take that history away. No, 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 you cannot. That is, it's in the books, and and guys appreciate you for it, and and you deserve credit. It's it's awesome. You, uh, I think it's interesting too. You know, you you've you've openly talked about uh, being sidetracked. You had you had it while in the league. You had some drug issues, and and then you know uh, got yourself back on track. I'm just curious how you would talk about the temptations of the time and just being in in, in that spotlight and 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 how you sort of fell off and then came back. Well, I mean, I came into Los Angeles with, with the Lakers. And I came in from the Orleans average. And I'm going to give you an example of what this drug did to me. Um, I came in the average in 28 points and 12 rebounds. By midseason, I was at 17 and, and 7. Mm-hmm. By the end of the season, which is a nine-month period, uh, I was down to f- uh, five rebounds and seven points which is not bad for today's stuff, but it was for me. That was a horrible thing. And I was 20, and I was like, say, 15 to 20 pounds lighter, and my drug of choice was cocaine. And so I just saw myself just just ruin, ruin myself. And so I had to get some life and, and turn my life around. So I was fortunate enough to get into a good, strong program, and I, and I have right now, I have 30 years of sobriety because I was able to maintain that that gratitude. And there's a lot of gratitude involved because, you know, there's a lot of things out here that can get you. So I have a lot of gratitude. And I had to go through that in order to be where I am today. And I look back on it. And so when I do speak to the young players, I don't hold back on anything. I give them all of the ins and outs, how things can slip up on you and knock you off your game and knock you off your life. So it's part of my history. What what do they want to know in general in those conversations, Spencer? What do, what do guys ask you? Well, they talk about um, well, they talk about how did it come on, what what happened, and I told them I, I'm just I was stupid. I was I was dealing with something that I I didn't know what I was dealing with, and I, I came from an addictive family. My family uh, was alcoholic. So throughout my family and I didn't, I just never put the two and two together until I went into treatment. And then it's like, Whoa, wait a minute. This gene is in my family like this. And so 
I, I tell them that, uh, you know, look at, go into your gene pool and find out. You know, you have these uncles and so on, some people in your family at the barbecue. You have to know these things in order to, uh, to be on, on, on top with them. So they all say, well, I, we don't use cocaine no more. And I say, well, okay, maybe alcohol or, or something else. They got a lot of things out here for you. Today's, today's world, so, and as I tell my daughters, you know, look out, be careful. Well, it is amazing how it's all connected when you when you start looking at the family and then you look at what happened to you. That's I mean that's I think that story is repeated, yeah. repeated over and over and over again. And it just, I who I, you just get a ton of credit for. I, I just think it's cool that you speak openly about it and it's part of your journey. And uh, I I don't know is there anybody specifically that you would give credit to sort of helping you um, get yourself you know headed back in the right direction so you can be able to help people today. Yeah, well, David Stern and the NBA, because the NBA, you know, we have pretty pretty serious programs, and uh, and those guys were making sure I get the kind of help that I needed. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a bad thing when they sent me off to Italy. It was the best thing for me, you know. <laughs> so, so I was like, "What are you doing, sending me off to Italy? I'm a star." Because <laughs> I want you to be clean, you know. So that that was. That was a good thing. And you got some good Italian food, no? I sure did, and I learned a little bit of the language. But I was, I was, and my team won this year for the first time in the history of Venice. I lived in Venice, and that's kind of like you know the whole ironic thing about it is like I'm exiled to Venice, Italy. Whoa! (laughs) So they won the championship, the the Italian basketball championship this year. Oh, is that right? Okay. There's there's wor- yeah. there's worse places to be in the world than Venice too. Yeah, and my you know then my wife uh, Iman the model she helped me a lot you know so it was it was I had a good team around me. Well, you seem uh, just super grateful, Spencer, for the whole journey. It's it's a it's a blessing to talk to you, and it's, it's uh, I've really enjoyed it. I, let, let's wrap up with one one current question. I did, the Cleveland okay. Cavaliers today traded Kyrie Irving to the Boston Celtics for Isaiah Thomas, who was top five in, in, in MVP voting last year. You got two, the two top teams in the Eastern Conference making a trade like this. It's, it's, it's basically unprecedented. I don't think that would ever happen. It's in, unprecedented. It, it is. I just, I'm just curious. You no. know, as an old-school guy looking at what's going on today with the league and Kevin Durant's in Golden State after being up three games to one, playing with the Thunder and saying, you know what, I'm going to go jump on that team. He can obviously do whatever he wants, and, and teams are making – trades to help themselves but there's something off about it for me at least i don't know how you see it yeah it is a little off because you, you got stacked teams so you don't get the parity that you want from uh, from all of the 32 teams so you got like maybe five teams that are that is that are very loaded and uh and that's something that's going to have to change about this and i don't know what it is yet but uh something is going to take place where uh, these players going to have to stay with the team in order to have the balance in the NBA because you got like you know Golden State is just loaded. I don't know how you beat that team, and Cleveland was loaded. I don't know if this trade is the best trade that I I could think of, but you never know what was behind the scene there. And then you got Philadelphia 76ers, who all of those guys are number one picks, so. What if they kick in right now? So the East could be very interesting right now. And 
in the West is, you know, you got uh, Oklahoma, you got um, Houston, you got San Antonio. So everybody's kind of loading up to deal with, with Golden State. And who knows? Could you? Might be an interesting year. What, what, could you have played that warrior style back in the day? Hey, Spencer, go hang out there at that three-point line. Shoot the rock. Oh, yes, I could have. <laughs> oh, yes. I love that game. I love that game, you know, and and I get in trouble with the old guys because I say these young guys are better than we were. And they're like, what? You're crazy. But uh, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and all those guys, Kevin Durant, these guys are better players than we were. They're just the evolution of the game. That's hard for me. I, I, that's true. It's who I know. I know. Oh, well, I see. You're purist. Well, there's the, <laughs> there's some of that, and you know, I, I just I got my 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 Michael Jordan biases here, so I don't I don't want to completely let go to the new school. I don't know how you feel about that. I I, I got MJ's got to be up top for me. Well, I mean, yeah, he's he's he's, he's the king, you know. All right, that makes me feel bad. And I think Kareem is right there, right there, better right there beside him as well. Kareem, I agree. And then you start making 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 hay down below, you know. Your point, and like like uh, Norm was saying, was Oscar Robinson boy. That was a tremendous player. Wilt Chamber, tremendous player. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty of it. it era, tremendous, tremendous era now. Tremendous years back then, Spencer. Total pleasure to talk to you. I appreciate you sharing and, and the great work you're doing with the National Basketball Retired uh, Players Association and talking about the good stuff that's going on there as far as uh, what the NBA is doing, uh, making sure guys are okay. It was, it, was, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you so much, and you have a great day. All right. It's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.